All right, so this morning, um, we're going to be in the epistle of James. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Um, in your Bibles, it's actually page 658. 658. And the title of the message this morning is Peace in the Storm. Peace in the Storm. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Uh, So before I get into the word this morning, let me open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning once again, Lord. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have its way this morning. Help me to decrease, Lord God, so you can increase. I pray, Lord God, that your word would come forth with power, with authority, Lord God, that it would pierce our hearts, it would change us. We thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege of knowing you. We love you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been said that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're either going into a trial, we're in the middle of a trial, or we're leaving a trial. Sounds very nice, doesn't it? Um, But believe it or not, when I think about trials and difficulties in my life, I think about Taco Bell. I think about my college days, you know, those long nights where I was tired of eating ramen noodles and I just really was craving some Taco Bell. And Jacob, you're going to experience this probably very soon as you go off to college. But I remember a trial was like going to a drive through window of a fast food place like Taco Bell. You know, you enter your trial, you drive up to the order menu and you're trying to figure out what you're going to order and most importantly how much money you actually have so you're going through the seats of your car trying to find every nickel and dime that you have in there trying to get enough money to order off of the dollar menu and to top it off the little intercom where you place the order it never works half the time so the person on the other side you don't understand what they're saying and you can only hope to god that what you're telling them they're understanding so you can get the order right So then you have to move on to the second window, and that's where your trial really intensifies. You have to actually wait for your food now. And if you have my luck, you're usually behind that one minivan where they order the entire menu, and then they get their food, they have to look through their food, and then they pass the food out to every person in the the van. And that can be pretty stressful, can it? And then finally that minivan moves on and you make your way to that second window, you get your food, your trial ends, and you can drive home. But then once you get home, you realize the order's wrong. So you go into another trial. So this morning, when we talk about trials and difficulties in our lives, James is going to remind us what those trials do for us And even in the midst of a difficulty, a storm in our life, we can even have peace in our lives as we experience them because we are going to experience trials and tribulations, difficulties, even in a life in Jesus Christ. So just a little bit of a background here. Um, The epistle of James is the first of the general epistles. Um, So you have James, you have first and second Peter, You have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude. Now, the epistle of James was not directed to a specific group or church group, but you can think of it as to the church as a whole. And the question is, who is this person? Who is James? 
Now, if you look at Matthew uh, chapter 13, verses 55 through 56, here the word of God tells us that James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting about James is that when Jesus was on the earth in his earthly ministry, James was not a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, In fact, in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, For not even his own brothers, speaking of James, believed in him. So um, Joseph and Mary had children um, in addition to Jesus, but of course Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous birth, Um, but he did have half brothers and half sisters, um, the word of God tells us. Now in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 verse 7, uh, the word of God tells us that after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried, And after he rose from the dead, he resurrected from the dead on the third day, that Jesus had appeared to many witnesses, including James, his half-brother. And, I mean, you could only imagine somebody who had been crucified, who had been buried, and had apparently resurrected from the dead. If they appeared to you, I mean, that certainly would make you a believer, I would say. Um, So James is one of the individuals that Jesus appeared to after his uh, resurrection from the dead. And here, James is writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So these are Jewish believers uh, that were scattered outside of their homeland. So let me read the text first, and then uh, we'll look at the text in more detail, uh, verse by verse. So here in uh, James chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, uh, the word of God says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So the first thing we're going to see this morning, our first point, is who is James and who is he writing to? Who is James and who is he writing to? So we know that he's writing to the 12 tribes that are dispersed abroad. But right off the bat, we see the humility in the life of this individual. He says, it's James, right? A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He introduces himself as a servant. He doesn't say, hey, it's me, James, the half-brother of Jesus. You know, that guy that died, he rose from the dead. I'm his half-brother. No, he doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, you know, it's me, James, the pillar, as Paul refers to him in Galatians chapter 2. But he says, rather, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that word servant, sometimes you'll even hear the word bond servant, uh, depending on one version of the Bible you're looking at. Um, But that word servant in the original language is doulos, doulos, which means a slave, a slave. And I love what Pastor Chuck Smith says regarding this. He says, a bond servant was just that, one who lived completely for his master. He had no rights of ownership, could not hold title to anything. Everything he had belonged to his master. He was there only to serve. And I love this because when you think about it as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, 
We are enslaved to God. He is our master. Romans chapter 6, verse 22, Paul writes, Now, but now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification or being set apart, and the outcome is eternal life. So in Jesus Christ, you and I in this room, we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the world. But rather, we've been born again. We've been set apart onto the Lord. Now, does this mean we're going to be perfect and sinless? No, it doesn't. Because every single day, we're going to fall short of God's glory. Um, but what this does mean is that we should have that desire and we should begin living in a way where we're sinning less and looking more and more like the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because that's our desire, is to have the character of Jesus, the only living representation we have of God the Father. Now, the second thing we're going to look at this morning, my second point, is what we do in trials and what to expect from them. So what we do in trials and what to expect from them. So here in verse 2, uh, James continues and he writes, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, but whenever, you experience various or different types of trials. So you read this verse and you say to yourself, you have to be kidding me, right? How can I be joyful in the middle of a trial or a difficult time or a storm that comes into my life? So, how many of you in this room are going through a trial right now? I think everybody is at some point, right? Um, the question becomes, how do I find joy in trials? Where is that joy? Where does that joy come from? Now, in verse 3 and in verse 4, James continues and he writes, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So what we see here is that our faith is tested in trials. It's not produced by trials, but rather it's tested by trials. So then what produces our faith? Well, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 Paul tells us that faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So in other words, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And as you and I read the Bible, we begin to understand it. We start to put our trust in the truth of God's word. That is what faith is. And then when the trials come into our lives, that is what is tested. Now, Trials reveal the type of faith that we do have. You know, sometimes it's a wake-up call to us when we go through a difficult time and we realize, wow, I, I really don't trust God's word. You know, and it, it can be very convicting. I heard it once said that, you know what type of Christian a person is when they're in the middle of a trial or a difficult time, just because of how they behave, how they react. You know, are they practicing what they are preaching? So, you know, we have to be on guard because the enemy wants to devour us and we don't want to be loose in our faith. We truly want to trust what the word of God is telling us. Now, 
like I said, trials do not, or what the Word of God says here, trials do not produce faith, but they do produce endurance. They produce endurance. Verse 4 tells us, And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So every time you and I go through a trial, a tribulation, a storm comes into our life, the purpose is to produce endurance and slowly perfect us. Make us look more and more like Jesus Christ every single time we go through a trial. Now, like I said, we're not going to be perfected on this side of heaven because we're still in the flesh. But that is the purpose of the trial. It's to perfect us, to help us grow in our endurance in our Christian walk. Now, because the Lord allows trials into our lives, He's in complete control of those trials. He knows what He is doing. And, you know, the Word of God says here to be joyful when they do come. And I know that is something that is easier said than done, right? James tells us, hey, be joyful in these trials. Now, does that mean we're going to be happy, you know, when you get a flat tire or, you know, unfortunately there's a death in your family? No, not necessarily. It, the circumstance is not your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, not the joy of the circumstance. But remember, having it in your heart and in the back of your head that the Lord is allowing this trial, this difficulty, to produce endurance in your Christian walk. And when you have that in your heart, in the back of your head, you can have joy even when the circumstance is one of the most difficult circumstances that you are facing um, in your life. So once again, the joy of the Lord is your strength, not the joy of the circumstance. And that's where the joy is going to come from. So the third thing we're going to look at, uh, my third point this morning and my longest point, is how do trials produce endurance? How do trials produce endurance? How do they make us look more like Jesus Christ? So the first thing that we have to do when a trial comes, that storm comes our way, it's presented to us in the Proverbs, I believe. Proverbs 3 verse 5 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. You know, I know for me sometimes when a storm comes, a trial comes, I start to question and I start to analyze what's going on in my life. And the second we start to rely on our own understanding, we allow the enemy, we allow the world to come into our minds. And we start to get confused, right? Things start coming into our minds. We, we start thinking like kindergartners. I heard a pastor once say, we start thinking about kindergarten theology. We say to ourselves, if I'm good, I'm going to be rewarded. But if I'm bad, I'm going to be punished. And I've been guilty of this before, where I say to myself, you know, I'm serving you, Lord. I'm living for you, Lord. But you're allowing this difficulty into my life. You know, why me, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing me to suffer? Why her? Why them? Why him? Why anybody, right? But the truth of the matter is, it's not for us to understand what God is doing because God's ways are not our ways. His ways are different. And instead of trying to understand the circumstance, we just have to trust in the Lord in this circumstance because God knows what's best for us because he loves us more than anybody on this earth does. He loves us the most. 
And like I said earlier, it's inevitable. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to have tribulations. We're going to have difficult times on this earth. Just because you give your life to Jesus doesn't mean like life is happy and like it rains Skittles. That doesn't happen. Difficulties are going to come. The Lord still needs to shape you and mold you before he takes you home. So Jesus talks about this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And certainly he has. He has conquered the sting of sin, which is death. The wages of sin are death. And in Christ, we have a hope and we have a future. And when all those different trials and those difficulties come, remember that those things are only temporary. They're not going to last forever. They're here and they're gone. And we have the victory in Jesus Christ. Now, as we trust in the Lord in the midst of a trial, difficulty in our life, we need to remember that those trials produce a couple of things that then produce that endurance in our Christian walk. Number one, trials bring humility. They humble us. They break us. And this reminds me of the Apostle Paul. For example, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you remember there, the Apostle Paul had this vision of heaven. He had this vision of the third heaven, as he describes. Um, he describes hearing inexpressible words that were unlawful for a man to utter. So the Lord allowed him to have a vision of heaven. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, especially because of the extraordinary revelation. So this vision he had of heaven, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger from Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. So what we see here is that Paul has this vision of the third heaven, and he says in order to keep him humble and broken, the Lord allowed a thorn in the flesh into his life. Now, we don't know exactly what he's speaking of here, but we can assume that it was a severe trial. And because of this severe trial, it humbled Paul. And what we're going to see here is that with brokenness and humility comes complete reliance on God which is the second thing that trials do, which then produce endurance. We have reliance on God. Reliance on God. So what happens with Paul here in 2 Corinthians 12, in the next verse, verse 8, he says, concerning this, speaking of this thorn in his flesh, this severe trial, he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. So, here we see that Paul, in the midst of his very difficult trial, he reaches out to the Lord. Now, he says here three times, I was studying this, and apparently there's a Hebrew figure of speech that suggests that three times actually means continuously. Um, now, I don't know if he asked continuously, it says three times here, but what I do know is that he actually showed some reliance on the Lord by reaching out to the Lord to take this heavy, severe trial away from him. Now, similarly, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, um, verses 6 through 7, here Peter is talking to Jewish people that have given their life to Jesus Christ and are now facing persecution because of their faith. He tells them, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. So just like Paul, and as Peter expresses here to these individuals in the midst of persecution, we need to rely on the Lord when that trial and that difficulty comes, right? Casting our cares or our anxieties to the Lord because he cares. And I know that is easier said than done because a lot of times we like to carry those anxieties with us. We like to carry those worries with us. And another problem I think with us is that when we have a trial, we have a difficulty, we have these anxieties coming into our lives. We like to cast those anxieties onto social media. We put them on Facebook, we put them on Instagram, and then we cast them to everybody around us, including people that are outside of Christ. And we start to get confused because people start saying, well, I think you should do this. You should do that. This is why this is happening to you, right? Dr. Phil comes in, Oprah comes in, right? And we start getting confused. When in actuality, we should go to the Lord first. I love what Pastor Raul Reese says. He says, do you want God's perfect will? If you want God's perfect will, you must inquire of him. You will not find God's perfect will by inquiring of people. We are so quick to hear from people, but we leave going to the Lord as a last resort. We say, well, I have tried everything. I guess I will pray now. We inquire of the Lord last instead of first. So unfortunately, when we cast our worries, our anxieties to everyone else around us, like I said, we can get confused. And the truth of the matter is a lot of people really don't care what you're going through. They just want to hear about it and they want to gossip about it. But I'm so grateful that the Lord truly does care about our anxieties and our worries and our cares. So we have to cast those things to him where they belong. Um, And the thing is, a lot of times when I cast my anxieties and my cares to the Lord, they come back to me. Well, I have to give them back to him. So as I come back to you, give them back to the Lord. Keep passing them on to the Lord. Don't carry those worries. Don't carry those anxieties because they're going to weigh you down and they're they're going to impact the endurance in your Christian walk. Absolutely. We have to be willing to do that. It's a very difficult thing. I understand that. Um, As a believer myself, um, casting my curse to the Lord is, is a hard thing because I think I know what's best for me, but the Lord knows what's best for me, and I have to give it to Him. So the Lord will always give us what is best for us, okay? He always gives to us what is best for us, something we can truly rely on. Now, in the case of the Apostle Paul, right, he has this thorn in his flesh, the severe trial, God answers him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He tells him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I love this because when we are the most broken at our weakest point, that's when the Lord can do the greatest things with us because we have no other reliance but on him. And Truly, God's grace is sufficient for us, and it's all that we need to rely on. Now, you think about this grace that we have freely received from the Lord by putting our faith in the gospel message. You know, Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? Number one, that Jesus died for our sins. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that he rose from the dead on the third day. You put your faith in that message. You recognize you are a sinner and you repent of your sin. That's what makes you righteous in the sight of God. And that is where the peace is. 
That is where the power is in the grace that the Lord has given to us. The third thing that trials bring is glory to God. Trials will always bring glory to God. Now, as trials build our endurance, we become, um, we actually look more and more like Jesus in character. Um, It's all because of the Lord. It's all because of his sufficiency that we get through the trials, through the difficult times. And for me, that's where the joy is in the trial. Once again, you know, knowing in your heart and in the back of your mind that the Lord's allowed this into your life because he wants to shape you and mold you and make you look more like his son, Jesus, through this difficult time. So all three of these elements that trials produce, the humility, the reliance on God, and the fact that trials bring glory to God, all of those things produce the endurance in our Christian walk that James is speaking of here. Now, I know it's one thing for me to tell you these things and to read these things to you, uh, but it's a completely different thing to apply them to your life. I I understand that completely. Now, um, some of you know this already, but for about the past year or so, uh, me and my family have been guided by the Lord through a very severe trial in our lives. We're going through a very difficult time right now. And I can tell you, even though this has been one of the most difficult times in our lives, it's also been one of the most blessed times in our lives because of the fact that the Lord is using this to build our Christian endurance. Now, in December of 2016, um, I received a phone call from my mom. Um, At the time, I was living in Colorado. I was living up in Fort Collins. And my mother told me she was having, as she described, the worst headache of her life. So I was worried about her. I told her, you need to go to the doctor. So what she did is she rushed herself to a a neighborhood emergency over here in in East El Paso. And through a CT scan, they found that she had a blood clot in the back of her head. So they rushed her to Las Palmas, to the ICU. She was there. um, It was the, yeah, December 15th of 2016. She was there in the ICU. And they began treatment on her immediately. And I remember um, speaking to her later that afternoon, and um, she seemed like she was doing well. And I think it was probably because of the medication. She didn't have any more pain. Um, And she told me, hey, I'm going to be going home tomorrow morning. Um, But little did I know that six hours later, um, my life and my family's life would be changing significantly. So at 2.30 the next morning, um, I received a phone call from my sister, uh, which I can describe as probably the worst phone call, you know, I've ever received up to this point in my life. And uh, she told me that the blood clot in my mom's head had ruptured and the entire back of her head had filled with blood. And uh, she became unresponsive and she was immediately put onto life support. And um, I spoke to the neurosurgeon, Um, it was 2.30 in the morning, and the neurosurgeon told me that because there was blood in the brainstem, she had a less than 5% chance of survival. So as I scrambled to make my way back here to El Paso from from Colorado, um, all I could do was pray. My mother was being prepped for surgery. All I could do was trust that the Lord was going to take care of my mom. And I can tell you that was the longest trip of my life. It took forever to get here. I felt like it was an eternity to get here. So I flew from Denver to Phoenix, and then from Phoenix I flew um, to El Paso. But I remember when I landed in Phoenix, as I was flying to Phoenix, my mom was in surgery. 
um, when I landed there, I assumed she had already passed away. The Lord had taken her home. Um, however, when I called my sister, she told me that she actually survived the surgery. She had made it through that surgery, that less than 5%. And that was just the beginning of our trial, though. Um, my mom actually remained in the ICU for 39 days. Uh, she was on life support for 16 days. And I remember the first time I saw her when I got here to El Paso, she had, I think it was like eight tubes inside of her. Her lungs had collapsed in surgery. They had to shave her head. It was just an awful, awful thing to see um, your mother there, unresponsive, um, after she had this major brain surgery. And finally, um, you know, I realized that the Lord was testing our faith as a family. You know, were we going to waver in this time? Because those 39 days when she was in the ICU was so difficult. I think we realized just how out of control we were of that circumstance. And out of every circumstance we have, you know, we're not in control of any of those things. But the Lord is. That's where the peace is. That's where the joy is. So finally, my mom was discharged from the hospital in January. 39 days later, um, she was like a newborn baby. She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't eat. Um, it was very difficult. She had to relearn to do all the things that we do on a daily basis that we um, sometimes take for granted. She had to relearn how to do all those things. And ultimately, through this circumstance, the Lord called me back home to Colorado. I was living there. I lived there about seven years. And I'm very grateful for my time in Colorado because there the Lord gave me a church family. And I was able to truly fall in love with the Lord there in Colorado, truly began serving him there. And it prepared me for all of this. And now I'm grateful that I'm here with my new church family, you guys here in this room, you know, as I continue on this journey in Christ, you know, we're, we're all fighting the same fights. We're all going through the same um, difficulties at times. And we go through it together. So my mom's recovery, her transformation, you know, after more than a year of rehabilitation, um, she's walking again. She's talking again. She's um, her short term memory is getting better. Um, it's interesting because she remembers things from like 30 years ago, but she sometimes forgets like her address. But those things are getting better little by little. And um, also, she's starting to eat a little bit. So she's slowly becoming the woman that she was before, um, little by little. And it's still very difficult. She still has a long way to go. Um, and we know that this trial is, is going to continue. You know, we, we still have to just trust in the Lord as, as we go on. But my mom's recovery and the transformation in my family's life, you know, we've grown in our love and our trust in the Lord, and we've grown in our love for one another. You know, those things we're very grateful for. Um, we're very grateful because my mom's recovery, the transformation of my family's, family's life, it's all a testament to how good God is and the power of prayer. Because I can tell you, we've had so many people praying for us, people that I don't, I don't even know. And I can't thank enough. And the way I can thank them is to pray for them in return. But just very grateful for that, for all these people. So I often think about this, just, you know, medically and scientifically, my mom's survival, her recovery, it was impossible. But what was impossible biologically, physiologically, the Lord made it possible. And for me, you know, as a scientist, first and foremost, a follower of Jesus Christ has given me a glimpse of the healing hand of God. 
you know, the, a healing that I've read about in his word and seen in the lives of other people, but now manifesting in the life of my mother and in the life of my family, it truly shows me how good and how awesome God truly is. And just to add to how good God is, you know, in the midst of this difficulty, this trial that me and my family are going through, we've had peace. We've been able to experience peace. Peace that is described in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Here, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He writes, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I love this because as Christians, not only do we have peace with God. So how do we have peace with God? Well, we put our faith in that gospel message, right? That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead. You put your faith in that message. You recognize you are a sinner. You repent of your sin. Paul tells us in Romans 3.22, that makes us righteous in the sight of God, and that's how we can have peace with God. But in addition to that, we can also have the peace of God in our lives. And I think about it like literally grabbing on to His grace, His mercy, His eternal life, His never-ending love, and just holding on to that. Now, remember, this is a peace that surpasses all understanding. You don't find this peace in the world. You don't find this peace in money, in drugs, in relationships, or anything that's passing away. You don't find peace there. But this peace you find in the Lord. And the fact that this peace me and my family have had complete access to, and as believers we all have access to, is, is, is quite a blessing. And as me and my family continue through this trial with my mom's recovery from her acquired brain injury from this hemorrhage in her head, um, the Lord continues to humble us. We continue to rely on him. And all of this continues to bring him glory because he's the one who has healed my mom, continues to heal my mom, and heal us as a family. And all of those things together are producing the endurance in our Christian walk. And all the glory goes to God. And one thing to always remember is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So even if your circumstances change, God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. His promises don't change. And that's where your hope is. That's where your joy is. So in closing this morning, we talked about how trials produce endurance, right? They humble us. They allow us to rely on the Lord completely. And trials bring glory to God. And this is why we have joy in the midst of a difficulty, because when a difficult circumstance comes, a storm comes into our life, we're able to know in our hearts, in the back of our heads, that God has allowed it to build our Christian endurance. So four things I want us to remember um, before we leave this morning. Number one, God allows trials into our lives and is in complete control of them. God allows trials into our lives and is in complete control of them. Secondly, God enables us to bear our trials. God enables us to bear our trials. But first, we have to recognize that we are insufficient without him, and we just have to trust him. Thirdly, God will deliver us from our trials. God will deliver us from our trials. So even if it's not the outcome that you want, that is God's perfect will for you, and that's the safest place to be, and that's what we have to truly trust. And... 
at the end of the day, what God does through that trial becomes a part of your testimony, your living letter of recommendation for the faith. Because believe it or not, we're walking Bibles. We're walking letters of recommendation for a walk with Jesus Christ. So that becomes a part of your testimony, a very powerful thing that is unique to us as individuals. Fourthly, God is glorified through our trials. And once again, um, he's the one that gives us the sufficiency. And when people see what he has done in our lives, we want them to look to him and not necessarily to us because we have done nothing. He's the one who's allowed us to get through the difficulty. So as you go through trials, as you go through storms, don't let them make you bitter, but let them make you better, okay? And as you and I face difficulties in this life, remember that in Christ, you can certainly have peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We're so joyful, Lord God, that even in the midst of difficult times, Lord God, we can have peace in our lives, Lord, because you are in complete control, Lord. You are still on the throne, Lord, even when things look so foggy, so dark to us, Lord. You know what you're doing with our lives. And Lord, we pray that you continue to draw us closer to you. We pray that you would shape us and mold us. Help us to look more like your son, Jesus, every single day. And Lord, we pray. We pray for this community. We pray for Northeast El Paso, Lord God. You've called Angel to plant a church or you've called us to this church, Lord God. We are your church body and we pray that you help us to share the love of your son, Jesus, to all of those around us, Lord. Help us to show that there is a hope, there is a future, Lord God. There is more to life than this world has to offer, Lord. Complete satisfaction in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.